Hello and welcome to the Messages and Methods Livecast Life 2.0 Livestream Podcast, hosted by Encore Entrepreneurs, Shelley Carney and Toby Eunice. We inspire excitement for content creation and marketing your brand and business while answering all your technology and digital marketing questions. Join us as we interview experts who share their knowledge and experience to provide actionable tips to land more clients, nurture leads, and position yourself as an expert in your industry. Chat with Shelley and Toby live every Wednesday on YouTube or Facebook. All right. Hello and welcome to Messages and Methods. I'm Shelley Corning. And I'm Toby Eunice. Thanks for joining us today. We have an amazing guest with us today, Mr. Vince Warnock. He is the host of his own podcast called Chasing the Insights, and that's also the name of his book. So we'll be getting into a wonderful conversation with him in just a moment. I've got a couple of reminders for you. Um, Make sure that before you leave today's show that you like our show, YouTube likes it, when you like us and uh, they give us brownie points for it. Share it with your family, your friends, your neighbors, your business associates, the entirety of your social networks so that we can grow the channel. And finally, if you're not already a subscriber, please click on that subscribe button. So that way, every time we uh, schedule a live stream or start a live stream, you'll be immediately informed and as a result in the know. And there's nothing better in life, ladies and gentlemen, than being in the know. Also, I'd like to remind you that this super chat light is lit. If you'd like to contribute to our little project, do so by going down to the bottom of the chat window. You'll see a stylized but grayed out dollar sign, perhaps even a dollar bill sign emoji. Uh, click on that emoji and the good people at YouTube will walk you through making a contribution of from one to $500, your choice, of course, but you know what we'd prefer. Uh, and uh, that's available to you at the bottom of the uh, chat window. Thanks for joining us today. I do want to remind you that we have two more shows this week. We have one at 11 o'clock on Thursday, Mountain because we're daylight now, right? Mountain daylight. Mountain, mountain daylight time. And that's uh, um, Women Conquer Business with uh, Shelly Carney and her partner, Jen McFarland. And at one o'clock, you'll see us on Video Tarot Live, which is our Amazon live show. And again, that's 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on Thursdays. We look forward to seeing you there as well, especially if you have any interest in uh, conquering business or uh, photography because we do a lot of that as well. That's right. All right. I'm going to bring our guest in and uh, let's have a conversation with him. All Yay. right. Hello, Vince. Hey. <laughs> so wonderful to have you here today. It is so good to be here, Shelly and Toby. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been our pleasure. We love having people with uh, uh, good, uh, good, loving accents. <laughs> I don't have an accent. It's only you guys that have. That's accent. right. <laughs> <Come> on, <come laughs> on. Yeah. Hope you can understand us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sometimes we make sense. Sometimes we don't. <laughs> All right. You want to me to start? Yeah, All right. Absolutely. Let's start with the obvious question. Tell us about yourself and your business. Okay, well, I'll give you a quick history of me starting all the way back when I was born. No, joking. Um, so I've been, uh, look, I've been in and out of entrepreneurship and corporate life for most of my career. Um, so even did a stint as a radio announcer on one of our top radio stations here. But I've always created and I was going to say always created and sold, always created and failed some businesses early on, but then created and sold businesses would go back into corporate and vice versa. And I had just come off the back of selling uh, my largest startup, which was a multi eight figure exit after around, I think, three and a half years of extreme anxiety and stress. Uh, it was a crazy journey, but totally worthwhile in the end. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I joined the team at Signet Insurance and became the chief marketing officer there. And I was there for five years. And on paper, 
this is the dream job. Like seriously, the pay was ludicrous. Got to work on some incredible projects. Um, you know, got to travel the world, speaking in stages all over the place, which by the way, I love. Mm-hmm. Um, got the got the results there as well. So I managed to take their online sales from pretty much nothing through to almost half their revenue. Uh, doubled the revenue of a Fortune 100 company in the five years that I was there. Um, and you got the recognition for that. Got the recognition internally, but also got the recognition through a number of awards and then uh, even getting selected by Adobe as one of the top 50 marketers in the world. Plus, published my first book there. Had the, uh, I have to say, the second biggest office. It really was the biggest office in the place um, <laughs> with my Mad Men style whiskey cabinet. Wow. Everything on paper looked amazing. And I literally was sitting there, you know, in this one of our top floors of our biggest building here, looking out at the beautiful view, writing down all of the different attributes that made that the perfect job. And the reason I was doing that is because I was utterly miserable. And I was I really hated the job. And it was nothing to do with the job or the people or anything. It was a great place to work, but I just didn't want it. And that made me feel really guilty. It made me, it made me feel really ashamed, actually, because this was such a coveted job that anyone I knew wanted that job. And here I was with it going, no, I don't want it. So I had to come to the realization of why that was. And that's when I realized I was incredibly unfulfilled there. And it was not the job for me. I need to be where I'm impacting people, uh, where I'm helping people. And I have such a soft spot for entrepreneurs. I love entrepreneurship itself. So I needed to get back to that. So I made that the easiest hard decision of my life. I decided that's it. I'm packing up, leaving, told the CEO. Uh, this is back in uh, December 2019. I said, I think I need to move on. I want to become a full-time author, just write my next book. She thought I was having a breakdown, <laughs> threatened to get me a psychologist. She's going, wait, do you know how much money we pay you? And I'm like, right, it's, yeah. it's not about the money. And she's like, I, I don't understand. I went, I think that's why I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left in January of 2020. And the goal was to become a full-time author. That lasted about a week uh, because I realized with ADHD and trying to focus on one thing like consistently or full-time, it's just not good for your mental health. So after about a week, I was going a bit loopy. I thought I need to do more things. So one book became many books, became launching my podcast, um, and then basically became accidentally becoming a marketing and visibility coach. And by that, I mean um, kind of COVID hit the world. Most of the people I was interviewing for my books, um, they kind of fell apart. They just said, look, we want to help you. We want to keep helping you with this. But the reality is, We've got no cash flow coming in the door. We've got all the same overheads. We don't even know if we're going to exist in two months' time. And that broke my heart. I just thought, I can't I can't stand by and let that happen. So I asked everyone if I could come alongside them, give them some help, which they said yes. Uh, and then all of a sudden, we were getting these people back to profitable really, really quickly, getting them in some cases to pivot their businesses, in some cases to step into thought leadership. Um, I doubled down on, I, so when, when I published my books, because I, I love writing, so what I wanted to do is make sure I secured a like top-notch developmental editor, top-notch uh, um, proofreader, designer, all these kind of things. So I hired them all and said, you can help me with more of my books. So now I'm going, hey, I've got the team here. Why don't I help all these people get books as well? So I started my publishing company uh, and then just realized, I, I remember sitting there one day, I was waiting for my wife, I was picking her up from work and I was sitting in the car and I was getting all these messages through these voice messages on Facebook. And all these people going, oh, my goodness, Vince, you can't believe what's just happened. I've just signed this new client. It's amazing. And there are people in tears. And I was sitting in the car, tears streaming down my face going, wait, what's this weird feeling I have on the inside? Mm-hmm. Like everything's bubbly. And I went, oh, my goodness, I feel fulfilled for the first time in a really, really long time. So so that's that started this whole era of what I'm doing now. I just absolutely love it. Doubled down with all of it, growing the podcast, helping more people to get books published, all those kind of things. It's so much fun. 
well, you kind of know our approach to these things and we're very much in line with uh, uh, what you're trying to accomplish. And I feel like sometimes Absolutely. the best part of what we do uh, is helping other people. I think it was interesting uh, that you decided to make that uh, pivot uh, from, you know, the the satisfaction and the safety of being in a nice, well-paid corporate job uh, yeah. going out on your own. And it happened to coincide with the beginning of what we're now referring to as the pandemic. Yeah. And it actually applies to uh, the next question we have for you and the other guests of your ilk that we uh, interview. And that is, what have you learned about marketing in the last two years? Oh, man, so much. Well, I've been, I've been doing marketing for, I say 20 plus years, and that's because I don't want to admit how many plus there is on mm -hmm. top of that yeah. 20, because it makes me feel really old. Um, but but one of the things I've discovered in the last couple of years, everything has changed. And by that, I mean, we used to, like marketing was all about presenting something bigger than yourself, uh, it was presenting yourself as bigger. So that's why brands would always look, try and look professional and all the photo shoots were absolutely perfect and all marketing messaging was just spot on. And you would, you would work for months on something and then release it as a campaign. Now the world's changed. People have reassessed what's important to them, reassessed um, their life in general and everything is kind of still in chaos even though we're resuming some sense of normality there's still so much change happening so what we've discovered over the last two years is forget about perfect forget about the perfect photo shoots and, and working on your marketing messaging for two months and then releasing it just get it rough and ready and get it out there people appreciate the the human nature of you are. they they appreciate the authenticity of it they appreciate you turning up what's and all like honestly in fact, one of the best, uh, one of my peers who was helping out, she um, she was running late for a Facebook Live. She had this Facebook Live organized. She had 200 people turning up for this Facebook Live. It was a big webinar she was doing. I was like, this is awesome. And she was running late for it. And she was like, oh, my God, what do I do? What do I do? I don't have time to put my makeup on. I don't have time to do my hair. I don't have time. I said, just show up. Just turn up. It was so successful because she turned up and literally said to everyone, look, I've got kids. Life's chaos everything's a mess, haven't had time to do my hair, haven't had time to do my makeup, but this is me. And immediately everyone watching that went, I relate, I connect, I now have this pseudo social relationship with you. Even though I've never met you physically, I feel like I know you and I feel like you know me. So that created a deeper connection with everyone. So her conversion rate on that uh, Facebook Live was phenomenal. So now she's going, never turning up with makeup on, never turning up with my hair done. I'm just going to show up. It's running around the background. Fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are amazing lessons, and I think everyone has had to adapt to the new reality, and a lot of that involves uh, interacting with people that you may never in your life uh, meet in person, but yeah. the benefit is we can have a conversation with someone who is right now in New Zealand and you with us, and it's perfectly acceptable not only to the parties, but to the people who are interacting and being part of that uh, communications yeah. uh, we, yeah, we really you know we appreciate the change and yeah. we've learned uh we had the benefit of being live streamers before uh this but we've learned that there are true benefits to being able to communicate with people in this medium and in this way yeah and, and you may not be able to tell but i haven't even done my hair at the moment so. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't tell, yeah. couldn't tell. <laughs> it's great sally um how will digital marketing for entrepreneurs and small business owners change in the next 12 months? Oh, okay. Oh, wow. We're going to get really technical here for a moment. Um, I think the main thing that's going to happen is 
So we've always, um, I need to go back to a basic principle of marketing. You guys know this. We always talk about having owned, earned, and paid channels, mm -hmm. right? So we have our owned channels, which is our website, our domain name, our email list, those kind of things. We have the earned channels, which are PR, which are word of mouth, friend get friend, those kind of things, and the paid channel. Now, what's happening at the moment is the world's in kind of a bit of flux and turmoil. Facebook's facing a lot of pressure, Instagram's facing pressure. A lot of these channels are, which means that your organic reach on these platforms is getting less and less and less and less. In fact, I know someone who's got a, a Facebook group of 30,000 people, put a post in there, and after three days, it had reached 16 people in that group. Now, these are people that opted into a group that had actually ticked the box for notifications, and still only 16 people had managed to see this, which means that we need to shift how we do things. And that's why I think there is a new paradigm where instead of just paid, owned, and earned channels, there's actually paid, owned, earned, and borrowed. And the borrowed channels are the things that we used to think are owned, i.e. our Facebook profile, our Instagram profile, you know, any of our social profiles, our content itself. Now, we own the content, but the distribution of that is borrowed. We are beholden to the, the algorithms on any of these different networks. So I think things are going to shift, and I think technology is going to be a huge part of that. Um, I'm really excited about some of the potential of Web 3.0, um, looking at not so much the metaverse. I don't think we're really ready for... Well, certainly businesses aren't ready for the metaverse yet. There's some, a lot of things that need to be sorted out before we can oh. really leverage that. Um, certainly DAOs um, have some legality issues around responsibility and all those kind of things and who's accountable. Uh, and crypto, I just steer clear of because uh, I'm terrible at investing. So oh. <laughs> anytime I invest in something, it's pretty much going to doom it to failure. But there's aspects like NFTs, smart contracts and things like that, which I think are going to enable us to take control again of our distribution. Uh, and it's going to give people the option to be able to and to kind of invest in that and invest in you as a business. So I think for a lot of businesses, we're going to really double down on this this concept called the thousand true fan theory. It's really looking at who are the people that are connected with us and how can we take that off social media? How can we control those interactions? How can we give them a sense of ownership in us and our brand and our story and our business and those kind of things? So so I think we're going to see a big shift in that in digital. Um, I'm looking at a number of different uh use cases for nfts this year for um for businesses and for entrepreneurs so i'm going to be launching a few of those to test those out but i'm really excited about the potential of those because i think it's going to it's going to be quite profitable for business and entrepreneurs but it's also going to be a great way to connect with your audience and drive the right behaviors from them as well well i look forward to your next book on leveraging the metaverse because i think <laughs> it's going to be i think it's going to be uh, desperately needed at some point i was so, going to say that a book that'll be out of date within five minutes but yeah yeah. <laughs> right? yeah yeah so you uh like us always see the opportunity even in worst case scenarios we yeah, see sure. opportunity we see opportunity not only for ourselves uh, but for our clients, what do you see as the biggest obstacle we and others like us uh, and people that you work with are going to have to overcome in order to avail themselves of these opportunities that are the result of having survived this pandemic? I I genuinely think it's, it's probably the same problem. Like It doesn't matter where in my career you've asked me, this will be the same problem that comes up time and time again, and that is limiting beliefs. It really is the doubt that we have on ourselves. Um, I have ADHD, uh, and with that comes uh, a thing called RSD, which is rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Um, and it's very much tied to things like imposter syndrome. And I know I've had to battle through that through most of my career and most of my life. But one of the things I've noticed is, and I've kind of come to the conclusion of, imposter syndrome itself isn't bad, right? And, and this is a weird concept, but when I explain it, you understand. But what's bad is what we choose to do with that imposter syndrome. 
Uh, and that's the thing I think that is going to be the biggest obstacle for us. That's the thing that when opportunities are there, we look at them and we go, well, if I take that opportunity, I might fail. I might make a fool of myself. Or people will think, hey, you don't know what you're doing or who do you think you are? And that's the, our own limiting self-beliefs. That's not actually what anyone is ever projecting on us. That's just what we think ourselves. So we hesitate and we don't take those opportunities. So for me, I had to understand what imposter syndrome actually is, which is, really a defense mechanism from our brain it's our brain just going hey you're outside of your comfort zone right now Vince. um so therefore i want to get you back in here where it's safe and i'm going to use fear to do that i'm going to make you think hey everyone's going to see through you they're all going to think you're a fraud they're all going to think you don't know what you're doing so run back in here in my safe little arms where it's nice and comfy the problem with that is as entrepreneurs where we need to be to take those opportunities is outside of our comfort zone we need to be there. That's where growth happens. It's where breakthrough happens. It's where prosperity happens, all of those types of things. So when we understand that about imposter syndrome, we realize imposter syndrome isn't bad. It's really just a signal from our brain saying, hey, guess what? You're exactly where you need to be right now, yeah. right? I'm screaming at you to get safe because you're exactly where you need to be. So we get to now choose what to do with those signals and choose what to do with that information. And we can either choose to run back to the safety or we can go, you know what? I'm just going to do it anyway. And if you look at every successful entrepreneur, that's pretty much what's got them there. It is that, that mentality of, you know what, I'm afraid, I'm insecure, I'm worried, but I'm going to do it anyway. So that's the biggest thing to hold us back is that limiting beliefs. I have to share with you that just before our show today, I had a one hour long, not quite one hour long conversation with one of my daughters who was yeah. recently hired by a high tech, big high tech company and was experiencing some of that. She doesn't know that as imposter syndrome, but yeah. she's dealing with the insecurities. I don't know if I can do this, dad. And I said, how many people interviewed you? And she said six. It was six interviews. And I said, they all agreed to hire you. Is that correct? She yeah. said, yes. She said, well, then you're a damn good imposter because if those six people <laughs> believed you enough to hire you, they believe in you. Yeah. And you have to believe in yourself as much as uh, they do. Yeah. There's a funny aspect to that, actually, Toby, because we, we used to, like, in the olden days, back in the olden days, when you go to speak on stage, you know, if anyone had stage fright or they were really worried, they used to get told the, the worst advice you've ever heard, which is picture everyone naked. Right, which no. for me just means I'm going to stand on stage blushing the entire time. <laughs> It'd be a terrible idea. But the idea behind that was to try and equalize everyone there, right? So to say, hey, actually, everybody's the same. You know, when they're naked or when they when they've stripped away the layers, they're all the same. The same thing applies to imposter syndrome. And this was a big lesson for me um, when Adobe picked me as one of the top 50 marketers. Um, they'd actually only selected the top 25, and we were. I'm standing on stage there with all all of the people I look up to in the industry. Uh -huh. I'm going, this is insane. Like. There's 24 other people here. I know every single one of them. I've bought all of their books. I consume everything these people do. What am I doing here? And that's when Adobe said, hey, this is not just a conference. We're also honoring these people. These are their top 25 marketers, blah, blah, blah. But I got to go out to dinner with them. And when you sit down with your heroes, the quickest thing you learn, especially, by the way, um, we went to a really nice whiskey bar. So when they're getting those whiskeys down them, you get to see the real side of these people. Uh -huh. But when they start opening up and you realize they're as much of a hot mess as I am, uh -huh. is, they feel like as insecure as we do, as, as much of an imposter syndrome as we do. In fact, the higher the level you're going to, the higher the breakthrough you have to have, the more it screams at you. Uh -huh. So I'm sitting there looking at one of my heroes who's got like eight New York Times bestselling books. You know, he was just about to put out his ninth one. And I was just, I was so excited about that. I wanted all the inside scoop on it. And he goes, oh, Vince, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm really worried. And I said, why? And he goes, well, I go through this every time I put a book out. But I just think, man, people are going to think, why didn't you stop at three books? You know, <laughs> what, what, what makes you think you've got anything special to say? And I'm going, 
that's what I feel. This is insane. <laughs> like, it, how is this possible? So, so it's a great equalizer when you know that if you're feeling those insecurities, you're feeling that fear, so is everyone else around you, uh-huh. which guess what? That means you've got as much right to be there as they do. You've got as much right to turn up and, and do it as they do, you know? So yeah, it's a very different mindset. So I think uh, Shelly and I are at the stage where we must need to grow more uh, because we haven't <laughs> experienced the imposter syndrome yet. Like we're just going like, oh, okay, yeah. well, let's you gotta get, get outside, outside your comfort zone now, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Well, I think when you get a certain age too, you and you've been through some things, yeah. Uh, you don't have it as, as strongly as you did when you were young. And you just like, you just learned that, for instance, I have friends who are PhDs. I'm not a PhD. I, I, yeah. I didn't, you know, do all that, but I don't look at them as being any better than me because they have problems just like everybody else has problems. They, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they, they make mistakes, they make wrong choices just like everybody uh-huh. else. So uh, I think I, I learned how to just like, you know, equalize. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what we're going to talk about a uh, business foundation, right? Uh, what entrepreneurs or business owners should have in place. Uh, if, especially if they're a prospective client that you might be uh, thinking about working with, what should they have place in place in their business before you can best help them with their digital marketing? I, I'm, I'm going to go with something that's not digital at all. I'm going to go with something that I think every single business needs as as a basis, as a foundation, and that is regular interaction with those customers, um, as much and as frequent and as often and as you know as you can, and and not just not just like we do this as uh, as entrepreneurs. In fact, I still remember one of my first startups. Uh, I knew I had to validate what I was doing, so I was like, "Man, I've got this. This is a piece of cake." We did this thing called Startup Weekend, where you build a business in a weekend. And I had this idea, which I knew was going to kick ass. It was going to be this incredible uh, app where iPhone users battle Android users, battle the probably three people in the world that use Windows Mobile, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's going to be so much fun. So I had to validate that idea. So I grabbed a clipboard, I grabbed a pen. I'm like, this is easy. I'm just going to go out on the street. I'm just going to ask as many people as possible. Uh, I discovered very quickly that that's not as simple as that. Uh, first of all, when you're in the street and you got some on the clipboard, they either think you're asking for money for some charity or they think you're a crazy street preacher. Either way, I learned a lot of new swear words when I was out there. Plus, you're interrupting them as well, which is, uh-huh. you know, if they're going somewhere, you've got to find where they're a captive audience. You've got to find a way where they want to engage with you. So I managed to work out this concept called coffee line test, where you go into a cafe. I'd go up to, you know, if it's a busy cafe where there's always a line of people, um, then I go up to the manager and say, look, I'm going to put my credit card on the table. We're just going to pick some random people and I'm going to pay for their coffees. And my friend here is going to do the ordering. I'm just going to go and take them over there and interview them. Are you okay with that? And they go, yep, yep, yep. So you just go up to people. My friend will go up and say, hey, we'll buy your coffee. You go over and give them any of your time. I'll, I'll sort it out for you and bring it over to you. And everyone was always keen. But then I found the next barrier for that was validating something is not as simple as going, hey, would you buy this? And I'd explain something to you and go, it's cool, isn't it? They go, yeah, it's cool. See, I've validated it. Uh Uh, And then you put it out there and no one buys it. Uh, What you really want to do is you want to get inside their world and inside their heads. What I do is I record the sessions and I ask them stories. And I just get them to tell me as many stories as possible. So I'd say to them, for example, um, tell me about the apps that you use on your phone that you really enjoy. What is it you enjoy about those? You know, what are the things that really irritate you about these apps? When you're looking at a new app, what are the things that you look for? You know, what catches your eye on this? What type of games do you play? You just get them to tell you all these different stories. And the reason for that is it's going to give you some really good qualitative data. 
right? Really good qualitative data because you're going to understand their motivations and what they do, what makes them hesitate, what makes them lean in, all those kind of things. But the other thing it's going to give you, and this is the, the hidden gem in amongst all of this, is you're recording this session. The words that they use are going to be your marketing material because you don't want to use your own words because you're a marketer and they're not a marketer. You want to use the terminology. You want to use the, the language, the, the words that they actually use. And a good example of this was um, a couple of my clients. So I've got this got these clients in Melbourne, Australia. They're two little old ladies, and they're going to kill me for saying that. Um, but they, they run this, this knitting cafe. And we got them all when the pandemic hit, everything dried up. They had no revenue streams whatsoever. They had the knitting cafe. They had all these events that they were planning. All of those are canceled. So I said, look, let's at least get your products online. And they're like, oh, we don't know how to do that. I'll teach you how to do it. In fact, if I fail at teaching this, I'll buy you a bottle of gin each. And they're like, oh, okay. So over a weekend, taught them all Shopify, got all their products online. We launched this. It launched to a hiss and a roar. Like it went amazingly. But then I realized to have sustainability, we need to get them found on Google, right? We had some issues around that. So I went to them and said, right, the next thing here that I'm concerned about is um, you're not ranking in the search engines. So what I want to do is a thing called an SEO audit, which is a search engine optimization audit and find out what's going on. And then we're going to put in place a plan to get you up the rankings. And I look at these two women and they look to me blank. And I'm like, okay, well, that failed. What's going on here? One of them just leans in. She goes, look, love, we don't care about any of that. We just want to be found on Google. <laughs> and that's when I realized I was using language that I'm familiar with as a marketer. And by the way, marketers are terrible at this because we use complex terminology and acronyms and all this kind of things because we're really worried that people think we're dumb, you know? <laughs> so we're really insecure. So we use these big words to sound intelligent. But what I realized is that I needed to use their language. So I pivoted really quickly. I just turned around and said, well, how about this? You're not getting found on Google, are you? And they went, no. I said, how about I find out why you're not getting found on Google? Yes, please. And then we'll put in place a plan to get you found on Google. Bingo, take our money. It was that simple. So <laughs> interacting with your clients as much as possible and your prospective clients as much as possible, whether it's B2B or B2C, just getting in front of them, asking those stories, recording that, using that language, that is, you're going to leapfrog your competition really, really quickly. I, I learned a valuable lesson from one of my mentors, and he reminded me that 95 to 98 of the per, uh, pop percent of the population has no idea what I'm talking about. And that's not <laughs> their fault. That's yeah. my fault. Exactly. And so yeah. I need to learn to talk like them or uh, so I can talk uh, to them. So that, yeah. that kind of brings us to the next question. Tell us a story. And it sounds like you're a great storyteller. Tell us a story about a lesson, something that you learned by dealing with one of your recent clients. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, Oh, okay. One of the things I realized, so I, if storytelling is a good example. I'm a big fan of storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. And I genuinely believe that storytelling is, is one of the most um, like efficient ways to connect with your audience. Um, you know, we go into the whole neuroscience of it, how you end up with this neural coupling that happens when you're telling a story, all these kind of things. So what I realized though, is storytelling comes natural to some people, but not to others. And I was working with one of my clients. He's a, um, he runs a video production company. So they do um, TV commercials, they do documentaries, they do a whole pile of different things, showcase work and all that. And what I was trying to do is I was trying to bring the personality out in his brand. His brand was very bland. It was very structured. It was very, this is what we do. Here is our benefits. Here are our features. Here is our pricing. Ta-da. And what he was finding is they're getting lowest common denominator all the time. They're getting people coming to them, comparing price to others. I said, forget about that. We want people to come to you because of you and because of what you bring to the table. 
So I thought this is going to be super easy. I'm like, right, we'll just drill into his backstory. I said, so tell me, why do you do what you do? And he goes, oh, because they make good money. And I was like, oh, face palm. No, this is not right. I said, no, no. Why do you do what you do? Oh, because they make good money. All right. Well, why do you why do you enjoy doing the work that you do? Oh, because I love producing good quality work. So what I realized is that for people, they don't connect the beats of their own life. They don't connect all the things that they've gone through as their story itself. So I created this thing called the Beats Method where I said, okay, well, let's go back to the beginning. Tell me about the first time you ever remember a film or like the first memory you've got of film or movies or anything like that. And and he kind of lit up at one point and went, what was that one? And he goes, oh, I was just remembering um, like when I was young, me and my brother, we were too young to go to see Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, but my dad used to sneak us in. And then afterwards we'd go out and we'd see these amazing movies. We'd go out and get a milkshake and, and we'd share all the stories about it. And it was so much fun. And always... Yes, I always remember it made me feel so much closer to my brother and to my dad. And I said, so you understood the power of film. You understood the power of video to bring people together. And he goes, yeah, that's it. And then we went through all the other beats of the story. So we worked out, he went on a, a big um, overseas experience. He went to like remote areas of Peru and Argentina and Brazil and all this. And he would meet with these like villagers and he would hear these stories. And these stories are so powerful, these people. But he said, I remember getting really depressed thinking, other people don't get this experience. Unless you travel to these remote areas, you're never going to hear these stories, which are so powerful and so inspiring. And I said, so you understood this, the value of people's stories? And he goes, yeah. And when we started to piece together all of these beats, so we worked out all these beats of his story, we pieced them together, uh, we realized in there is his origin. In there is why he does what he does. Uh -huh. So we went back home. Uh, his wife's a psychologist. He rang me. He's, he was so excited. He goes, dude, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? And he goes, I've been practicing my origin story. So I sat my wife down and said, I'm going to tell you why I do what I do. And he told her the story. And at the end, she had tears strolling down her face. He goes, guess what? And I went, what? And he goes, it turns out I'm inspirational. And I, mean, <laughs> I was cracking up laughing. But it was, it was an interesting lesson for me that that doesn't come natural to people. They don't make the connection. Everybody has a story. And uh -huh. everybody's story is incredibly powerful, whether you think it's powerful or not. You don't have to come from, you know, poverty and abuse like I did. You don't have to come from, you know, all these advers uh, adversities and all these scars and things that you've got. It can be just a story of how you found your passion. But in that, there's a whole pile of people waiting to hear your story. It's really powerful. You've just got to be able to pull that together. And, and I think it's important from your own personal perspective uh, yeah. to get a real good understanding of who you are and why you do the things that you do. And you're right, we all have stories. And the, the, the most successful people, even through whose stories may not be the perfect, you know, I was educated at Harvard story. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was a struggle uh, made you who are you are today and yeah. made you such a good storyteller. So I, I would argue <laughs> the ones who went, oh, I went to Harvard and that they're actually the boring ones. So <laughs> I look for the stories of relatable people, people who uh, have gone through similar to what you've gone through. And, right. and that's where your audience is. And there's a whole pile of people out there waiting to hear that. So I love it. So I want to go back to a response you had about the two ladies that uh, yep. You were providing marketing services, and you said they had what kind of coffee shop? It's a knitting cafe. I thought uh, where you go in there, it's hilarious, man. You go in there, you can sit down and learn to knit a few different. I don't know enough about knitting to even stitches, fake this, but stitches. Yeah, that'll work. They, they learn a few stitches, then they they have their coffee and then you know scone with jam and cream and all, all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. and then they buy their products there and they leave. And what they realized is they're building this community of these people. So they wanted to take that experience outside of the cafe. So what they would do is a, a knitting vineyard tour where you go to this vineyard, you learn to knit a few stitches, 
then you have a lot of alcohol, you get drunk, you do karaoke and dancing. And then they went, oh, let's put it on a cruise ship. So they had these knitting cruises where you go there. They have celebrity knitters. It's a thing. Um, they go there. They learn to knit from these celebrity knitters. They drink a whole pile of wine. They get drunk. They do karaoke and dancing. There's a theme, you know. Um, but these people absolutely love it. And they build this massive community. And then COVID hit and their community couldn't meet anymore. Yeah. So they had to pivot the whole business. In fact, they, they've pivoted everything now. Like most of their community stuff is done online. And They've discovered that they thought they had a small niche community in Melbourne. What they discovered is all of Australia wanted what they had. Uh -huh. So their audience has um, not even quadrupled. I think it's like five times what it originally was. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I've never had an interest, but you make it sound interesting enough that I think I would enjoy going to a knitting cafe. I honestly, they inspired me to even try it myself. I got very frustrated that ADHD yeah, and things don't really go hand in hand. <laughs> I think it's yeah, like yeah. It's, it's a slow process. It's, yeah. it, uh, you require patience and you re require the hand-eye coordination that an artist yeah. uh, would have, and I I have neither of those. So. <laughs> um, uh, Shelly, back to you. I myself have a half finished sweater in one of my cupboards that's been there for, I don't know, 20, 25 years <laughs> at least. Uh, so let's get into uh, some tactics and sure. strategies for marketing a little bit more uh, in the granular area. And let's talk about how does a website affect marketing success? Oh my goodness. Um, well, first thing I want to say is you, and this is going to sound crazy because my background is actually in web development and everything. And I honestly can tell you, you don't need a website, but it's super handy. And I say that because one of my clients literally just does all of her business in DMs on social media. Mm. And she'll just go out there and go, hey, I've got a new offering. Who wants in DM me? And then she'll send me send them a Venmo account. They transfer the money. And then suddenly she signed all these new clients and she is crushing it, absolutely mm. crushing it. But it does add a lot of value to you because it can do a lot of the heavy lifting. So it gives you a central point that you can point people towards. This is why landing pages are really important for your campaigns. But if you're on social media, for example, or you're talking on a podcast or you're in a book or whatever, being able to say to people, go to this website and having it set up so that people can find exactly what they need is going to be a huge advantage to you rather than go, hey, connect with me, email me at this address or hit me up on social or do all these things. Like for myself, I, I run a podcast. I have books. I've got a publishing company. Um, I do strategy work for people. I've got social media accounts. All of that can be housed on my website. So, so that's one of the advantages it has for you. But the other advantage it can do is it can actually take care of a lot of the social proof aspects of your business. And by that, I mean, when people are looking to deal with you, when they're looking to make a decision to work with you, there's three parts or three functions of the brain that are activated. There is the logical part of your brain. That's the part that's looking through the websites, the neocortex. It's going through your website going, okay, what are the benefits? What are the features? What are all the reasons why this is a good deal or why I should look at working with you? Then you've got the other area of the brain, which is where the real decision actually is made, which is the limbic system, the emotional system. And that's where the brain's looking at going, what is the need that this is going to fill? What is my need? And also, what does it say about me when I align with something like that? And a good example of that is one of my clients uh, does a lot of work helping new dads. So his whole campaign to start with was, uh, basically, don't be a sucky dad or something along those lines. Or, you know, you suck as a father. Now let's get you somewhere. And I said, well, no one's going to sign with you or only a few people are going to sign with you because it immediately means they're admitting that they're a terrible father. And nobody mm -hmm. wants to admit that, even though we all feel that way when, we, when we're new dads. We all have no idea what we're doing. So actually, why don't you reframe that around, okay, how to be a super dad or how to actually step into that, that really good dad space, you know, and things. So reframed it and then you got more people buying into it. But there's another part of the brain 
which isn't involved in making the decision. It's involved in opting out of the decision. And that is the reptilian part. That is the defensive part of your brain. That's the bit that's looking at going, should I be worried about this? And you'll see it with a lot of uh, really highly produced videos. And you're looking at a highly produced video on the website, and you're kind of like, uh, like something feels a little bit veneer it feels a little bit fake or you're looking at some influencers instagram feed and everything's just so hashtag beautiful and you're like there's something i want to see the raw i want to see the the vulnerable i want to see the the human element of this but the part of your brain is on the defensive it's going hang on i'm on high alert now i'm looking at this when they come to your website that part of the brain's looking there when it sees things like testimonies when it th sees things like awards when it th see things like quotes from people that they know or trust that part of the brain goes, oh, hang on a minute. I'm not actually needed here. This looks pretty reputable. You guys, you know, the limbic system and the neocortex, you go ahead and make your decisions. I'm going to go and make a coffee and sit over there. You know, I'm not needed right now. So the heavy, the heavy lifting can be done by your website itself. So I, I think um, uh, fatherhood is the, uh, <laughs> the epitome, the classic example of the sense of imposter syndrome. Oh yeah, 100%. Uh, I don't know necessarily that mothers feel like fathers do, but and that wasn't just the first one. I had six children, and each time I'm going, I really, I want to do this. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I've only got two, but I can tell you now, I felt like an imposter every single day. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, let's move away from a website, which is very specific to social media. Uh, yeah. How does social media play into a small business's uh, marketing strategy? Well, one of the key things for social media is it's where your audience is. And one of the things we always know is don't try and get people to come to you. It takes so much effort and interact with them in that space. So social media as a result has a huge amount of potential. Now, ignoring the algorithm changes and all those kind of things that you're always going to fight with in there, it's a really good opportunity for you to connect deeply with your potential market. So for small businesses or any, any kind of entrepreneur, actually, there's a number of different activity that needs to happen regularly on social media. One of them, the obvious one, is content, right? Writing really good content that connects with your audience. It does two things. It, it does the heavy lifting in that sense of where you're, you know, they're connecting with your content, they're relating to it. But also the more content you produce, the more salient you are. In other words, when people see you, like the best compliment I think I've ever received, um, some friends of ours came over, we hadn't seen them in like a year. And they came over for dinner one night and they walk in and and the wife of them turns to me and she goes, oh my goodness, you are everywhere. Everywhere I go on social, you're there. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what you want to hear as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. That means you're front of mind with people all the time. So when they're making a decision or they're thinking about, from my case, if they're thinking about how do I get published as an as a author, then they go, oh, well, I see Vince everywhere. He's someone I should consider. So that content really does a lot of work around that salience and around actually connecting with your audience. But the other thing it gives you is direct connection to different people. And one of the things I try and teach people is when you're on social media, it's really tempting. And I'm really bad at doing this myself, even though I teach people not to do this, I fall for it. But you go on there and you put a post up there and you say, okay, you know, um, you know, who wants to be an author? And, you know, like just, you know, who wants to be an author in my network or something? And you get a pile of people going, me, 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 me. And you reply, great, awesome, or emoji, or, you know, like a little animated gif of woohoo. You've missed an opportunity to have a conversation. And that's very much what social media is. It is conversational. So actually taking the time to go back and go, that's fantastic. What type of book are you hoping to write? Mm -hmm. How far down the process are you? Ask follow-up questions. Keep asking those follow-up questions. Because what happens is from their perspective, you're showing an interest in them. And everybody likes people to pay attention to them. Everyone likes, you know, someone taking interest in them. But also it's telling Facebook or Instagram or whatever platform you're on, LinkedIn or whatever, it's telling them, hey, 
look at the amount of interaction that's happening on here. These people obviously want to hear what this person has to say. So, all right, then, despite the fact we want them to pay for advertising, we're going to increase their organic reach. So it really does work in your favor in a number of different things. But then, of course, it gives you the opportunity to, once you're interacting with these people, to take it off social. And to say, and I had a great example of this where um, somebody, I help a lot of people launch podcasts. And there was somebody who was asking questions around uh, hosting providers. And if you've ever done that on social media, by the way, you're going to see the same response. Prepare yourself. If you go in there and say, what hosting provider should I use for podcasts? You'll have like a small handful of people say Buzzsprout or um, Spreaker or Riverside or Libsyn. Uh, and these are all great, great platforms. I use Libsyn personally. But then you're going to see about 100 or 200 people go, use Anchor. Here's my link. Use Anchor. Here's my link. Because, of course, they have a really strong affiliate program. So all these people are wanting to make money. So what I did was I wasn't just going to recommend something. I said, look, here's the approach that I take. I said, one of the things I did is I looked at what I what platforms I should ignore and what platforms I should pay attention to. And you should definitely ignore Anchor for these reasons. Um, that annoyed a lot of people. And I said, but the other thing I did is reverse engineer from people that I respect in the industry. So I looked at all the podcasts that I want to be like, you know, the, uh, the Amy Porterfields, your Pat Flynn's, all these kind of people. And they all use Libsyn. So therefore, that was a no-brainer for me. But then I put, if you ever want to chat about some of the upsides and downsides of that, it's too much to put in the text here. Let me know. I can always jump on a DM uh -huh. with you. Um, and then they quickly DM me and said, hey, I'd actually love to know more. So I jumped on a call with them, signed them as a client, actually helped them to set up their podcast. But that one comment in there, that one interaction caused four other people to reach out to me and say, hey, I saw this. Are you OK if I DM you? Can I pick your brains as well? Because I'm launching a podcast. And I signed all four of them as a client as well. So, so it's one of the best ways you've got to interact with this audience and to engage with the audience. So make sure you use that opportunity. We, we uh, try to take advantage of uh, as many of those opportunities as we can to offer yeah. in a subtle way the services, how can, how can we help? Yeah. Um, I have learned a valuable lesson, as you mentioned. I belong to a group that has about 13,000 people in it, and they'll come on, and it happens to be related to photography, and they'll yeah. come on and ask a question like, um, I've been using my iPhone and I think it's time for me to get a more sophisticated camera. What do you recommend? And yeah. then there's, there's 13, 12,999 responses all presenting <laughs> a different opinion of what you, yeah. of what you want. So you, it really is not only structuring the question so that they can come up with an answer, but yeah. not making sure that it doesn't give everybody an opportunity to express their opinion on the matter yeah. because if they have one, they'll write it down. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like something you said there, Toby, when you said, um, you know, selling, basically subtly selling our services. Uh -huh. That's yeah. a key in there as well, because if you look at those 12,000 odd responses, a majority of those will be, here's my affiliate link. Here's my affiliate right. link. You know? yeah. um, one of my key principles is if you're, if you're on social media and you're trying to help someone, let that be your focus. Right. Focus on adding the value first. Uh, believe me, the sale will follow. In fact, I had this argument with, um, I won't name him because that'll shame him, uh, one of my peers in the industry, so a very well-known digital marketer. And him and I were disagreeing on a number of things in a, in a kind of joking way. Mm -hmm. but one of the things he said to me is, look, you know, it's it's about making sure you 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 know, take as much money up front as possible. But you should be charging people as early as possible. Then you should be taking that and trying to bring them up the value chain. And I said, no, I disagree with you. I said, you know I disagree. You and I are never going to see eye to eye on this. I believe in giving away as much as possible for free which sounds so counterintuitive. Uh -huh. And he goes, yeah, but that's why you're never going to be successful and I am. And I'm like, 
hey, hang on, I didn't see you on the stage with those other 25 people. Um, so first of all, don't tell me about success. But the other thing is, I said to him, what's happening here is you're creating a transaction. You're creating a, like, an interaction with an individual where they may or may not buy your product. If they do, then you're going to try and upsell them. You're going to try and move them up the change. But again, they're going to always reassess you. They're always going to look at this and go, is that adding value to me? Whereas what I'm creating, and I hate the word, but it's the best word for it, is fans. Uh -huh. I'm creating people that go, I'm buying into what you're doing because I trust you. I know that you're going to add value. I know that you go over and above to add value. So therefore, I know that if I'm coming to you with something, you're only going to be selling me something if you think it's really a benefit to me. So I've got, I've got people that have been following my career, particularly in this new stage of it now, where whatever I put out there, they'll buy. Even if it's not suitable, I have to go back to them. I've had to refund a few people and say, look, there's no point you joining a business accelerator if you don't have a business. And they're right. like, oh, but I just want to learn from you. And like, <laughs> no, you just paid $4,500 for something you're not going to get the value out of. Look, I'll refund the money. I'll find something else to be able to teach you. But, but they'll sign up because they believe in you. And that's because you've gone in with that approach of going, I'm going to add value to you. I'm not going to just sell to you every single time. You know, it's funny because that principle of being willing to give away uh, something for free, especially when it's your own knowledge, dates back to kind of the beginnings of digital marketing. Although I know we were talking about it before then, digital marketing just made it easier. And the lesson we've learned is that giving away things, especially when it comes to your uh, your the knowledge of a particular area is always the best way to build confidence and trust in other yeah. people. And when I do answer any question in one of those groups that I belong to, I'll, I'll be very picky about what I do answer. Uh, but when I do, it's a very comprehensive answer. And yeah. so you know the next time somebody says, Toby, I was thinking about doing this, what would you do? You know, yeah. you've realized you've made a, uh, an important uh, contact there in the sense that you've given them something first before you ask for anything. And technically, my position on the matter is you should never have to ask. You should have enough credibility, visibility yeah. and credibility and trust with them that they ask you. What 100%, 100% yeah. agree. Shelly? Yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, how can we use email marketing most effectively? Okay. Well, um, first thing is email marketing is critically important in this day and age. It really is. You know, when we talk about, when I was talking about the owned, earned, paid, and now borrowed um, in, you know, kind of categories, the most powerful one for us is the owned and the earned, but we need to increase that owned. And your email list is a great example. You can take that email list wherever you go with you. It's a way that you can almost guarantee. I mean, you get about 25, 30% open rate. So you can at least get in front of a large portion of your audience. But the thing to note with email marketing is the same as we kind of mentioned with social media marketing is what is the value I'm adding to them? It's really tempting sometimes to just push out emails and keep that in their face and things like that. But I'm always looking at what the journey is that I'm taking them on and what is the value that I'm adding to them in that journey. And I always start every email, and in fact, every piece of content I create, even for social, I start with wanting to know three things. I go, before I write this content, what do I want them to think? What do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to do? So if I start from that basis, I'm always looking at how am I adding value to these people? What is the outcome going to be? And then I write for that specific purpose. So if you get that in front of people, like for example, with my team, I, I say to them with our email marketing, um, you should like any sales conversations that go out in the email marketing should be one in every five. Like you should be adding four times the value uh, of anything that you're taking from people. And if we and so we put people on a journey, for example, if I if someone signs up for one of my master classes on how to become an author, 
um, then they will get so much value in the emails that come afterwards. They will get tips. They will get exercises they can try. They'll get all of these. And there's no ask within any of those. I'm just adding that value to them. And you watch the open rates on those emails gets higher and higher and higher until then you're going out with an ask saying, hey, by the way, all of that stuff I've taught you, you can do that yourself. Or if you want, I can make life easier for you and my team can do a lot of that for you. Like we can do the editing, we can do the, the proofreading, we can do the cover design, all those kind of things. So therefore, by that time, you've earned the right to have that sales conversation. So that's the key for me is always looking at the value you're adding to them within your emails. So you touched on this uh, earlier in the conversation. In what ways are content development and distribution factors in marketing success? Oh, it's one of the most important things whatsoever. I mean, your content is is your goal. That is the thing that you can control. That is the thing that you you know you write yourself. It's the way that people will relate to you. It's the way you can add value to them. But the distribution of that is incredibly important. And I've seen this even on social. Actually, one of my clients. Um, they were having a bit of a bad week one day and they put a piece of content out there. We worked together on crafting this incredible story. They put it out there and they came back and they were grumpy and they said, it didn't work. I said, what do you mean it didn't work? I didn't get any engagement on it. Uh, I should I should just pay for advertising and put it out there. And I said, okay, well, tell me what you did. What do you mean? I said, what did you do? Well, I wrote the piece of content. I said, yep. Then I put it on social media. I said, yep, but what happened next? Well, no one looked at it. And I said, are you surprised? <laughs> and I said, what is it we've been teaching you for the last few months? And they're like, oh, fine. So what I teach people is put a piece of content out there, but don't leave it there. Actually go out and invite people to that content. Like pop in DMs with people or pop into a group and say, hey, I was thinking of you. I've created this piece of content. I'd love to get your feedback on that. Or I've got this piece of content. I'd love to hear your opinion on it. And actually lead them to that piece of content. Everyone likes to feel like their opinion is important. Everyone loves to feel like they can give you feedback on things. But then in doing so, they're consuming whatever it is you're putting there. And if you're driving them towards something, if you're nurturing them towards an outcome, then they're actively consuming that content as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit of extra work. And it's something that some people don't like the idea of because it means that it's harder to scale. You can't just put a piece of content out there and then go to the beach. You actually have to actively engage with it. But I'm telling you now, the return on investment for this is incredible. I, I have to admit uh, that it is one of my weaknesses because I, I look for the easy way to produce content. Yeah. But Shelly is not only a master of producing because she's such a great writer. Uh, it's not only a master of producing content, but leveraging it and, and inter, you know, causing interaction as a result of it. So yeah. I, I, I learned a lot about it from her. <laughs> I only need to be smart enough to implement it. So. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, actually. It doesn't come natural to some people. Uh -huh. um, so particularly like with ADHD, I'm very aware that I operate in creative energy a lot of the time. So I love creating something new, a new piece of content, a new idea, a new thought, a new kind of process, all these kind of things. But it gets to the point where the repetition side of thing kicks in. And that's where you just hire people around you, get people that can actually do that for you. It's right. much more powerful. Yeah. All right. So it, it was the combination of my um, my attraction to the live streaming. I can do this all day. I can do this 24 hours a day. And that's conversations with Shelly that said, that, that resulted in what do we do with that? If, we, if that's what you're going to do all day, then what are we going to do with it? Uh, yeah. And the, the best example of that is what we're doing on one of our other channels where we where the discussion is about uh, photography and uh, techniques, tools, and equipment. And Shelly right away starts going, well, no, let's take that, use that as a basis for creating a book where you're giving advice to people. And then now you have something else that uh, <laughs> builds you out. So... She's love it. There has to be purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Um, 
Well, we talked a little bit about there has to be purpose and there has to be an audience. Because you're always asking me that. Who cares about it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Who, Who are you talking yeah. to? Right. No, no use creating really, really good content, really good purpose if no one's seeing it. If yeah. nobody's seeing it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we talked a little about the Knitting Cafe and how you help them to uh, put their business online. And uh, what are some other alternatives that we can use um, instead of doing face-to-face in-person networking and other events? How can we grow our network online? Okay. Oh my goodness. Uh, one of the key things is to have a reason for them to want to engage with you. So as I said earlier, giving away things for free uh, is a really powerful way to do that, but nothing's ever fully for free. So this is where lead magnets come in. Mm-hmm. So actually finding something that's going to add value to your audience and, and then getting them to register for that. So you get the contact details and good example of this is uh, I did recently a, um, a masterclass on PR. So on press releases and on getting, you know, press, and so I put together this, this masterclass on that. And one of my coaches, because um, every coach has coaches, uh, one of my coaches um, looked at what I put out there and they were like, why did you do this? I went, what? And they said, why? You gave away so much in there. Like you basically outlined everything in there that they need to do. And I said, yeah, but it doesn't mean they want to do it. It doesn't mean just because they've got all the methodologies that we use in press and we used in getting PR, it doesn't mean that they're going to actually make the effort. So for half of them, it made them realize just how hard this actually is and that they need to hire somebody to do it for them. So by, you know, kind of adding value to people, and then from that, I put out a checklist, a PR checklist. I put out a list of um, different publications and how to get in them. I put out a whole different uh, pile of lead magnets like that, and the amount of people that signed up for those and then signed up for further masterclasses, it just grew my audience dramatically. So, so that's one of the ways you can do this, is actually have something that's compelling enough that people really want to basically give you permission to market to them, in exchange for that lead magnet, in exchange for that value. Very nice. Uh, so uh, let, let's actually push that. It goes along with the story that you uh, just told. What do you recommend to attract digital media attention, not just advertising attention, not just social marketing, but getting the media to be attracted to whatever you're doing, whether it's in the form of podcasts or live streams or uh, blog posts, things like that. I think that that's been a struggle as long as I can remember being in marketing. How do I get media attention? Okay, well, there's there's a few things I'll give you advice on there. One of them is, first of all, you've got to realize that nobody gives a damn about anything you do. <laughs> it's a it's a stark reality, but nobody cares. No press cares that you've got a new book out. No care, press cares that you had such and such a guest on your show. So you've got to give them a reason to care. You've got to think about their audience. And remember, every every journalist, and um, and they're going to kill me for saying this, I treat every journalist with two ways. One, knowing that they're really lazy, because we're all lazy in reality. And if you make it really easy for them, then they're going to be more inclined to want to work with you. But the second thing is they want to genuinely add value to the audience because the more that they add value to the audience, the more the audience reads their stuff, the more that they get paid for putting stuff out there. So so look at their audience and think, what's the value I can add? And one of the things I do is I look at specific reporters. Um, say there's a reporter called Joel that I look at. Uh, Joel put a piece out there talking about um, up-and-coming podcasts, I think it was. So he's looking at up-and-coming podcasts in the marketing space. So I went out to him with a, a basically with a pitch idea and said to him, hey, look, I, I love the article you did around this. I love the value you're adding to people, showcasing all this, and gave him some direct feedback on some of the podcasts in there. And I said, one of the ideas I've had, which I've been thinking about for a while, which I think may be relevant for your audience, is to actually look at 
the specific types of podcasts uh, in these areas. So if they want advertising um, advice, where they go to all these kind of ones. Next thing you know, I'm suddenly in an article uh, in Forbes talking about the different types of podcasts that are out there. So, so it's actually looking at how do you add value and connecting with that reporter on those levels. But the other one, there's a really cheap, now cheap, there's a cheats way of doing this as well, which is there's a website called Help a Reporter Out um, or H-A-R-O. And I just recommend every entrepreneur sign up for that. Um, it's going to be a huge distraction for you originally because you get like three emails a day from mm -hmm. them, but it's all requests from reporters saying, hey, I'm writing an article on X, I'm writing an article on Y, I'm looking for people's opinion on that. And for a lot of people, particularly when you're starting out, it's a great way to get in some press. Like you can get in Authority Magazine, you can get in Valiant CEO, you can get in Business Insider, and then you start to get up the ranks. You know, like obviously it's harder to get into Forbes and Yahoo Finance and all those kind of ones but often there are opportunities within there as well. So you've just got to look at what are they asking for in here? Can I talk authoritatively to that? And if you can, you respond really quick. The key thing with those is always move as fast as you can because they only take a day or so to look for people and then they start writing the article. Uh -huh. You know, uh, one of the other folks that we interviewed mentioned the same thing and I went and took a look at it. And it is very useful in the sense that it gives yep. you an idea of what reporters are talking about in terms yeah, of the topics that you have an interest in, you know, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and some of the, the advantages, they're not expecting you to write anything. They're expecting that you're going to give them some sort of uh, a piece of content that could just be them interviewing you on the phone, which yeah. for me is real easy for Shelly. If they wanted us to write something, I'd ask Shelly to do it. But yeah. if all they wanted to do was have a conversation, I would do it. And sometimes it's just that. They yeah. need another quote expert unquote. Uh, and and often, often those quote ones can actually open up a lot of doors. I looked at Valiant CEO recently, where they were asking for quotes around um, some social media. I'm working with social media influencers. That's right. Uh -huh. So they asked for some quotes on that. So I went in there and I gave them my response, and I told them my backstory because yeah, they asked for your backstory uh -huh. and things. As well. yeah. I told them my backstory. Next thing you know, I not only am in that article, but they're also done a whole profile piece on me on Valiant uh -huh. CEO talking yeah. about what I believe and my stance on ethical marketing, et cetera. So I often can open up other doors to you. And I even had um, just recently, this is coming up very soon, which I'm really excited about. Um, I had a reporter in the UK reach out to me saying that they were looking at uh, podcasts that monetize in different ways. And they said they've been asking their community and apparently my podcast had come up a number of times because I, I have a thing called the Insiders Club. So they were like, okay, right. So um, they contacted me. They said to me, you're 15th on our list events. And we only want to take the top five. And I'm thinking, well, why have you called me then? This sounds like a waste of time. But she said, but the thing is, I looked at the top 10 on the list and you were a guest on every one of those shows. You're like everywhere. And I went, ha ha, again, win. So, so she interviewed me, interviewed me for that article. That's great. But then in, in talking with me, she asked me what's coming up in the next year. I told her about the book publishing stuff I'm doing, told her about the work I'm doing in the NFT space. And next thing you know, she lights up and is like, well, I'm also writing an article on NFTs. Can I interview you for that? And now become the primary in, I think that one's going in Yahoo Finance for an article on NFTs. So all of these opportunities just come from you taking those lower level ones, taking those ones and like help a reporter out where it's asking for quotes from people. And then from that, leveraging that to build that relationship with the reporter. And then those bigger opportunities will come. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, what marketing functions would be uh, something that we could automate and how would we do that? Uh, automate all the boring stuff. Now, um, so <laughs> that's my simple goal in life. Um, for me, automation is a really interesting one. So I only automate when I can prove that it's repeatable. Um, and so in other words, 
there were a lot of people I, I i participated in a challenge recently that hay house was running and they had and, and this is going to name and shame them but they they were quite open about the fact that they had issues but they had these chatbots set up which were all automated so therefore you know every day it would prompt you and remind you and all these kind of things but the problem was they hadn't actually um done this manually first they hadn't sat down and said what does this look like how is it going to be helpful for people mm -hmm. so you ended up in a situation where in one day i had 43 messages from their chatbot just going back and forth trying to prompt me to get into their thing and as a result i didn't even respond to those but when this is happening on scale to everybody there they end up getting their um, their chatbot got deactivated and their facebook page got uh banned so they had to appeal to facebook just before the challenge to try and get it back uh -huh. so you've got to be really cautious of those kind of things so with that automation i always look at automating anything repetitive so distribution is a good one to automate as long as you can prove that you've got a system in place that is repeatable, that is um, scalable, that you can actually manually do and get the results from. So this is the last, uh, I, I don't want to say tough question, but this is what yeah. I ask all our individuals. And uh, sometimes when I ask the question, I feel like we could do a whole, an entire program, an entire episode on just this topic. But if you would share with us some advice, and it doesn't yep. have to be everything, on what um, people with digital businesses could do, because we get the question, to attract yep. more leads. That seems to be, uh, you know, top of mind for them. How do I get more yep. leads? Um, it, it's, it goes back to the core principle I said, which is adding value. And it's all good to say leads. Like, I, I've, I've been in businesses where we've purchased lead lists before. Mm -hmm. yeah. that's, a, that's a soul destroying thing. Never do that. Right. Yeah. Um, cold calling people, which is always, again, a soul, soul destroying thing because you have to get used to rejection. Um, but the key thing for me is build relationships and add value. And if you want to generate leads, then that's the starting point. But then you're going to get to the point where when you've proven your value to different people, you have a hidden gem right in front of you you've got your own current audience. And what I encourage people to do is what we call friend to get friend campaigns. So in other words, it's saying, uh, like a good example of this actually, I worked with one of my clients. They were doing, um, actually I'm not allowed to name the company that they were working with, other organization yet, because it's not public yet, mm -hmm. but they were working with an organization doing cooking classes. And they were like, okay, we're gonna work with you. We're gonna roll this out across the nation. And one of the things that this organization wanted was more members. So they said, well, how do we do that? How do we get more members? Well, first of all, we're going to run this event for all your current members, but we're going to give them a bonus if they bring one of their friends along. So they ended up with an almost 100% strike rate where they, everybody brought a friend to this thing. So they had now doubled the amount of leads of what they had previously. So actually looking at trying to get your current people incentivized in a way, and, not, and by that I don't mean just, hey, we'll pay you if you um, bring someone on board or you know, giving them affiliate links or commissions. They can work, but it's actually give them a reason to want to bring their friends on board or to bring their friends to connect with you. And often that doesn't, it has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with, we'll give you a month free or any of those kind of things. It has everything to do with how that makes them look. So for example, if I was going, right, Toby, I want you to join my pro, or you're part of my program. I want you to bring Shelly into there and to do one of my masterclasses. Then what I'm going to do is I'm gonna make sure that when Shelly attends that masterclass, Toby looks like an absolute legend. And that way, Toby's there going, ah, yeah, I'll invite many people in here because I feel damn good when I'm in here. Mm -hmm. We give you a shout out at the beginning of the masterclass or or we give you a special badge in there that says you're a VIP or something along those lines. Or, or we'll actually get you up on stage to ask a question and things like that as well. So 
So those are the kind of ways that you can get people incentivized through their own needs and emotions to actually bring others into it. So really effective way to generate leads. I have to admit to you, I'm a sucker for VIP badges. Oh, <laughs> yes. I, I, I tell you, I'm a massive sucker for sticker charts. Like, honestly, I, I think I had a, I don't think I had enough of them when I was a kid or something now, but <laughs> anyone that runs a challenge that has a sticker chart in there, I don't care what it is, I'm joining. <laughs> Shelly? Uh, in your experience, what works best for converting? Uh, so we're converting suspects to prospects and then to clients. What is What is that key ingredient? I think the key ingredient is you've got to understand. So when when people have objections, we always we always talk about this in sales as objective hand, objection handling. So when somebody says, "Oh, it's too expensive," then we immediately start talking about the price or the value and all these kind of things. Or if they say, "I don't have enough time," then we look at how you can minimize the impact on them. Blah blah blah. But what actually is happening is their objection is never what they're saying. It's never really the price because the reality is if they knew the, the outcome that they were going to get, if they knew the breakthrough they're going to have working with you, they'll pay any price to get that. So it's not anything to do with the price. It's not to do with the time or the complexity. What it's to do with is they're looking at you going, I want to make a decision to work with you, but I have no idea what's on the other side of that decision. I have no idea what that looks like. I feel like I might get disappointed because it might not be worth the money or I feel like maybe I'm not I'm going to have to put too much work into it and then I'm going to burn out or or it's not going to be enough or there's all these questions they have. So, one of the most powerful things you can do as an entrepreneur is show them behind the curtain. And you do that in ways like I do that with free strategy calls. So, anyone that wants some clarity on marketing, they can come to me, book a 30-minute call. I won't sell to them, I'll just give them clarity. I'll actually take them through, find the problem they've got, we'll deep dive on that and I'll show them what it's like on the other side of that. So immediately when they're looking, they go, well, this is what it's like working with Vince. I come away empowered. I come away feeling really encouraged and inspired and feeling like I could take on the world. That makes it a lot easier for me to make the decision around this. Mm -hmm. So you do it through that. You can do it through free webinars, masterclasses, all those kind of things as well. You do it through five-day challenges or three-day challenges. They work really well for showing people what it's like working with you. So I think that's one of the biggest ways to remove a lot of the friction, the negative friction around making that decision. Uh, and then it's much easier for you to convert those those prospects into actual you know paying customers. Mm. Last all right. one. Last yeah. one. Go ahead. Oh, all right. So uh, let's uh, go ahead and start rounding this up. And we're going to ask you for your most important. You do this on your show. You ask for those three tips. Well, we're just uh -huh. asking for your most top tippy top tip, <laughs> your most important takeaway tactic or piece of advice for small business owners. And then we'll get into where they can find you. Cool. Uh, best piece of advice I ever got. And I'll give this to all of you as well. It's not my advice. It's one that was given to me. Is just do it anyway. Like, honestly, don't be ready. Just don't like deliberately don't be ready. Just actually, if you've got a product that's only half done, you've got to like, for example, one of my first group programs, um, I knew the rough structure of what I wanted to do, but I hadn't organized all the different lessons or anything. So I launched anyway. And the reason for that is because the earlier you can get in front of your market, the earlier you can get in front of your customers, they're going to help to shape it. Because there's no point us going, right, I'm going to build the ultimate product. It's going to be incredible. I'm going to build this product that, in fact, I actually did this with Common Ledger, which was one of my previous startups. That was the big one that we sold. Um, we assumed early on that we knew what the value of that application was. We knew that it was going to save at least two hours every time an accountant needed to run a report. right? So for them, that's two hours worth of billable time that we removed off their ledger for them per client. So that was obvious for us. We know the value of this. And I remember we had a scenario. I did a live demonstration to a bunch of senior partners at uh, PwC. 
and they had dialed in from all over the world. We had South Africa, we had the US. I don't think we had the UK because of the time zone. I can't remember. There's another. Oh, Australia was there as well. And all these senior partners were there. And I got to, I got to this meeting. I was sitting downstairs in the cafe about you know 20 minutes earlier. And I thought I better log in and because it's a live demo, I better log in and just make sure everything's all working fine. And I go to the app and it's down, mm-hmm. and it's not there. And I'm like, what the hell? So I rang my co-founder. I'm like, dude, I'm freaking out. What's going on? He goes, oh no, it's okay. I've just rebooted the server. I said, oh, fuel. Well, when would it be back up and running? He goes, oh, it takes about three or four hours. I'm like, I'm literally sitting here about to go and do a live demo. And it's written on the board. You can see what I'm doing. He goes, oh, well, this is what happens when you don't have enough sleep. So I freaked out. And I'm like, what do I do? And then I remembered I'd taken screenshots of everything. So it was like, right. So I took screenshots, put them all into a PowerPoint presentation, went up there, pretended it was live. It was just a PowerPoint presentation. They know it now, but they had no idea at the time. It was a brilliant demo. But going through all of this at the end, I was just like, you know, kind of, I got out of my kind of sales pitch. I'm just sitting there. And one of them turned to me and said, this is awesome. I can see the value in this. But he wasn't too excited. And he said, a question for you. Does this automatically map the chart of accounts? And I was like, why do you ask? And he goes, because that for me would be the game changer. And then everyone around the room is like, yeah, yeah, definitely. So I quickly pivoted on my feet and just said, well, it's funny you ask that because we're literally beta testing that at the moment. And he goes, are you serious? I went, yeah. And he goes, that's a game changer. We want in. I want in. Like, we can do this. So I went, great. Okay, well, let's have a conversation around that. So I left the office. I rang my co-founder. I said, right, I'm still not talking to you, but you got one opportunity to do me right now. I said, can we automatically map the chart of accounts? And he goes, I've got no idea, but we'll make it work. I said, great. I'll come back to the office now. And we got back there. And we literally did it as a smoke and mirrors demo. We actually had a, fo- a thing there where you could upload the, the client's chart of account upload your chart of account and then we automatically did it overnight which meant we just hired an intern to sit there and actually manually go through and do it and then ta-da but but for us we could have easily assumed that we were building the perfect product but instead we went out there while it was rough while it was ready and we asked the questions and we actually worked out what was valuable to them once we had added that to the product it was a no-brainer for just about every firm that we went to you know it's funny that you should mention i had a client back in the 90s uh who uh, between the two of us actually developed the phrase PowerPoint where, because <laughs> it wasn't quite there, but they would ask me to do the presentation. And when I, when I asked, how am I going to do the demo? The answer was PowerPoint. Yeah. And it actually yeah. became a phrase for us. <laughs> we, we actually had uh, two companies try and buy us based on a PowerPoint. On the PowerPoint where? We hadn't actually built the product yet. Like seriously, we had just had the PowerPoint presentation and they were like, we want to buy you. And we're like, we have no value. Like, seriously. <laughs> we realized the only reason we're they wanted to buy this presentation to here. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a very expensive PDF, uh, PowerPoint. Yeah. 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 All right, let's uh, show the website where you can find Vince. And um, that would be chasingtheinsights.com. And he has information about uh, his marketing coaching that he does, uh, the podcast, and he has a community. So tell us a little bit more about that community. Oh, man, I love my community. Um, Basically, it's just a super friendly place place with entrepreneurs who are trying to build their business. And by that, I mean, it's incredibly supportive. We run masterclasses in there. We run challenges. You can promote your business in there. There's rules around that, obviously. Um, But yeah, everyone's welcome in there. Uh, Obviously, don't go in and spam everyone. That's frowned upon. But look at how you can add value to them as well. So I think we've got a, there's over 600 people in the group at the moment. Um, but we are constantly doing masterclasses on email marketing, on on NFTs and Web 3.0, on PR, on podcasting, on authoring, all those kind of things. 
Um, but you also see there's some links right there where you are, all the social media links. If anyone wants to connect with me, just do. I love meeting new people. So connect with me on every platform and I will I will always accept you, unless you're a spammer. Just, again, we don't like spammers. Uh, but the other two important things on this website are in the, in the menu there at the top. Uh, one of them is the book a free strategy call. Uh, and like I said, for anyone who's struggling, um, you can just book some time with me and I will give you that clarity, nice and simple. And the other one is for anyone who wants to become an author or anyone who's really curious about that, there is literally a link there called Become an Author. And you will see on there, there is a number of books that we've got in market that we're recruiting for at the moment. Uh, if you scroll down to the bottom there, you'll see those. So if those interest any of you, get in now because these fill up really, really fast. Honestly, the first five books I put out there sold out in the first week. Uh, we had 10 authors per book and they filled up really, really quickly. So, so we're always putting new ones out there, but it's not guaranteed. So if those are the titles you love, get in really, really quick. Yeah. Also, Amazing. I noticed that you also list your uh, podcast and ask people to go to the podcast. Yep. And uh, so if any of you want to listen to uh, Vince's podcast, you can just go to the podcast page. And I noticed the the titles to me were interesting. Your, your uh, guests um, include people that are talking on diversity and inclusion, yep. um, the seven types of rest, um, uh, why you need to write a book, uh, the diamond dog NFTs. So some really interesting uh, and a, a diversity of uh, topics. So I think yeah. uh, well, one of the key things for me, Toby, was making sure that whoever I have on the show is adding value to you as an entrepreneur and to uh -huh. your journey. So, right. so the, the topics on there are all different ways of thinking about aspects of your business. So I want to make sure we covered off mindset stuff. We have people talking about stress and anxiety, people talking about rest or those kind of things. Uh, we also have, we've even had nutritionalists on there talking about healthy diets as entrepreneurs and how not to snack all day, every day, like I seem to do. Um, <laughs> so, and how to get good exercise and how to look after your body and things as well. So yeah, so I like, I like a good diverse range of speakers. Um, we also have one on there who's one of my favorite episodes, which is um, a woman named Haley Moss. She is a, um, a neurodivergent, so and it, she is um, uh, Asperger's. So she is a lawyer with, with um, autism. And yeah, it was just an incredible talk with her about the importance of neurodiversity and the importance of, of looking at neurodivergent people in your business and catering for them and things as well. And and she's also just one of the loveliest people ever. There she is right there. Yeah. 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 That was a good one. I listened to that one. Oh, you uh, did? Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. And uh, you'll hear at the end of Vince's podcast where he talks about his community. And I've, I think it's a really low price point, an entry level price point where you can get in and start um, really diving deep into uh, all that Vince has to offer. So uh, excellent way to get started is to listen to the podcast. So for those of you that are watching the show after uh, our live stream, I've not only included his website in the uh, chat, you'll also find it in the description box of the videos and the uh, show notes of the, uh, of the uh, podcast or audios. All right. Okay. Well, that's all we have for today. We really appreciate all your time that you spent with us and all the wonderful uh, advice and answers you gave today uh, to help Encore Entrepreneurs, which is our main audience. And yep. uh, we hope that you will share this with your, your own audience because I think there's a lot of really good gems in here. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're the kind of, so we went an hour and 15 minutes worth of really <laughs> high quality content. So I look forward for those of you that are uh, fans of Vince. 
um, this would be a great show to watch because it was very, very informative. One of the most informative interviews that we've conducted in this series. So well, thank you very much for that. I mean, selfishly for me, it's just a, hang, a chance to hang out with you two, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I liked it because uh, you didn't hold two things. You didn't hold anything back. And uh, secondly, you're a great storyteller. And I really enjoy uh, listening to a great storyteller. Well, thank you so much, guys. Yeah. All right. Uh, last notes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching now, make sure you see Shelly tomorrow on Women Conquer Business with her uh, partner, Jen McFarland. Then uh, that's at 11 o'clock in the morning, Mountain Daylight Time. And I'll be uh, on at uh, Shelly. No, I'll be here tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. Uh, on at 1 p.m. Mountain Daylight for Time. St. Patrick's Day. For Video Tour Live and to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Because so, I'm a carny after all. Yeah. After <laughs> all right, Vince. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Cheers. Thank you for joining Messages and Methods Livecast Live 2.0, hosted by Shelley Carney and Toby Eunice. Please subscribe and leave a comment or question, and we'll consider your ideas for future shows. Share this podcast with your family and friends so they can learn about current digital marketing practices, too. Check the show notes for links and resources, and please come back again next week.